Whenever the circumstances of life get to spinning, whenever we feel overwhelmed or discouraged, perhaps full of shame, full of uncertainty, whenever uh, we might receive a new diagnosis that sets us on a course that we weren't expecting, whenever we are facing decisions that seem far too complex, it's always important to return afresh to two main topics. Whenever the unfolding events of the world seem so chaotic, whenever the uncertainties of these days seem so overwhelming, it is important to return afresh to two main questions. Here are the two questions. How does your God view the world? That's the theological question. And secondly, how does your God ask you to view the world? That's the ethical question. These are, of course, related questions because people's attitude toward the world invariably wants to mirror uh, their underlying conceptions of God, or at least they should. Put another way, our ethics flow from our theology, or at least they should. Instead of our allowing ourselves to be overtaken with the overwhelming, we seek to root our lives deeply in God and think about what God would have us do. Instead of our allowing ourselves to just spin in the chaos, we seek to root our lives in God and what God would have us do. So for us as Christians, we have answers to those two questions in our passages for this day. The first lesson reminds us, as we just heard David read it, that we are to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not God's benefits. I love that line. Forget not God's benefits. See, the psalmist reminds us we're the Lord's. And the Lord forgives all our iniquity. The Lord heals all our diseases. The Lord redeems our life from the pit. The Lord crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord satisfies you with good as long as you live. How does God view the world? Well, there's the answer. God is present. God is active in our hearts and in the complex world, more than that, the psalm reminds us the Lord works vindication and justice. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For as high is, uh, God, uh, high is the heavens, so great is God's steadfast love. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion. So how does God view the world? With abiding care and faithfulness. And how does God ask us to view the world? With faith, with hope, 
trusting and serving God. In our second lesson, which I'm going to read in just a minute, we have an extraordinary summary in one key verse. This is what it says. Jesus saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. How does God view the world? Which is what we often forget when we feel spinning and searching and chaos. How does God view the world? With compassion. As we see in this story, Jesus had compassion on them. That word compassion speaks powerfully about God and God's ways toward us. Jesus had compassion on them. Compassion alludes to kindness. Compassion alludes to sympathy. That's what Jesus had for the people. Jesus had compassion on them. But there's something way deeper, something even more profoundly powerful. In the meaning of the word in Latin, compati means to suffer with. Suffer with. Compassion means someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Compassion means to endure something with another person, to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, to feel her pain as if it's your own, to enter generously into his point of view. Another suffering becomes your suffering. True compassion, when it's received and when it's shared, changes the way we live. So how does God view the world? Well, listen to this second passage. It's from Mark chapter 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves now many saw them going and many recognized them and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And as he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave, it, gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. 
So if we look carefully at Jesus in this story, we look carefully at what's going on in this story, especially the people and the disciples, it's very instructive. The disciples had been busy doing all the things that Jesus had asked them to do. They were healing, they were teaching, they were forgiving sins, they were spreading love, they were passing out kindness, they were casting out demons. The disciples came to Jesus and they say that they had, we've been doing everything you told us to do. And he said, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest. Everyone needs rest. Especially those busy spreading compassion. Everyone needs rest, especially the disciples. The disciples were coming, they were going, they had not even taken time to eat, it says, so they got into the boat to go to the de- a, a deserted place so that compassion fatigue wouldn't overtake them. But the people saw them going, and the people recognized them, and the people, uh, as the boat floated along the lake, they ran around to the other side and met them. It looks like an exhausting scene. Tired disciples, hungry disciples, Jesus with them in the boat trying to get them some relief. But the passage also shows desperate people, frenetic people, running, organizing, meeting the boat, the crowds, the needs. They continue. The overwhelming doesn't stop. The overwhelming doesn't slow down. The chaos can seem huge. Again, it's important to ask, how does your God view the world? And it's important to ask, how does your God ask you to view the world? This is when it says, as he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, for they were like a sheep without a shepherd, and he taught them many things. And then we have this wonderful story of the feeding feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. This wonderful, life-affirming, need-meeting, world-changing Jesus. Here he is in this story. And it's not an unusual story. In so many other places in the Gospels, uh, this is what Jesus does. He has compassion on the people. He comes to the people and he puts himself in their shoes and imagines their hunger, their frenzy, their need, and he seeks to meet it with kindness, with care, with healing, with feeding, with whatever is needed. He keeps showing, spreading, sharing compassion. In other stories, Jesus had compassion on two blind men who were crying out for sight. In another story, when he saw a dead person being carried by his friends and the mother of the dead person weeping, and it says she's also a widow, it says he had compassion on them and he raised the dead one. There are numerous stories like this. This is how God views life, especially hurting life, especially confusing life, especially desperate life. This is how God views life with compassion. Jesus is in unconditional solidarity with those who suffer. That's where Jesus meets us. This is what God is like. And this is what is so seemingly lacking in our world. 
compassion. Compassion. Our culture has grown intensely competitive and individualistic, if not selfish. If we're not careful, we're lured into thinking that our lives and our country are meant to be ruthlessly selfish. In a recent book entitled 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life, acclaimed writer and professor Karen Armstrong says, and I quote, in our perishly divided world, compassion is in our best interests. To acquire it, however, will demand an immense effort of mind and heart. Gandhi memorably said that we must ourselves be the change that we wish to see in the world. Well, we cannot reasonably expect the leaders of our own or other people's nations to adopt more human policies if we ourselves continue to live egotistically, greedily, unkindly, and give free reign to unexamined prejudice. We cannot demand that our enemies become more tolerant and less violent if we make no effort to transcend the aggressions and the selfishness in our own lives. We have a natural capacity for compassion as well as cruelty. We can either emphasize those aspects of our traditions, both religious and secular, that speak to hatred, exclusion, and suspicion, or we can work with those that stress interdependence and equality of all human beings. The choice is ours, end quote. Armstrong's book goes on with so many keen insights about how we learn compassion, and it's a lifelong journey. We work at it. We keep striving to learn it by looking at the world, by seeking to grow in empathy and mindfulness, by how we speak to one another, by showing concern for everyone, by striving to really do as Jesus said, love your enemies. Here is Hers is a a very thoughtful book about a critical topic in critical times, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. Karen Armstrong has written many books, and most of them are thick and well-researched and very long reads. This one is so accessible, so helpful, so hopeful, and so pertinent to our times. In fact, in recent years, she even put together a compelling worldwide effort uh, from six faith traditions and so many languages called a Charter of Compassion. This is what the Charter of Compassion affirms. We call upon men and women to restore compassion to the center of morality and religion to return to the ancient principle that any interpretation of Scripture that breeds violence or hatred or disdain is illegitimate, to cultivate an informed empathy with the suffering of all human beings, even those regarded as our enemies, we urgently need to make compassion a clear, luminous, and dynamic force in our polarized world. Compassion is essential to human relationships and to a fulfilled humanity. Compassion is the path to enlightenment and indispensable to the creation of a just economy and a peaceful global community. How does God view the world? 
with compassion, sincere compassion. How does God ask us to view the world? With devoted compassion. There's a popular story in which a student of the very famous anthropologist, Dr. Margaret Mead, the student asked the that professor to describe the earliest sign of civilization in a given culture and expecting a treatise on clay pots or on crude axes or on grinding stones, Dr. Mead's answer was simply this, a healed femur, the human thigh bone. Dr. Mead went on to explain that a healed femur indicated devoted compassion. Someone cared deeply enough to do the hunting, to do the gathering until the leg healed. A healed femur. The evidence of compassion, she said, is the first sign of civilization. It needs to not just be the first sign of civilization. It needs to be the mark of our civilization and the very mark of our lives. Compassion. I recently came across a very compelling translation of that wonderful chapter at the end of the Bible from Revelations 21, a modern translation of what God really hopes for in the world, what God really hopes for in God's full reign. That's what's depicted in Romans 21. It goes like this. This is the story of the beautiful city of God. This city sparkles with the loveliness of rare gems. The city is filled with light. There are no shrines or temples because everything here is understood to be sacred and filled with the holy. This is the story of the beloved community. In this community, we find welcome. In this community, we find kinship. In this community, we find our voice. In this community, we are all loved. Revelations 21. I also came across this just recently. South Africa's Archbishop Desmond Tutu gave a lecture and he quoted St. Augustine. St. Augustine said, God without us will not as we without God cannot. Again, God without us will not, as we without God cannot. God's plans, God's intentions that are just described from Revelations 21, God's goals are so full of compassion, yet without us, without our sincere devotion to compassion, to seeing others, to feeding others, to serving others, to helping and healing others like Jesus, God will not do it. And we, without God, cannot do it. Without our response, without our faithfulness, without our loving kindness, without our tender care, our inclusion, our generosity, our efforts of compassion, God will not transform us or rescue us either as individuals or as societies. We, without God, cannot bring about transformation and the reign of God. We're in this together. 
God views the world with compassion. God asks us to view the world with compassion. May we work together forever for the healing and the hope of all things following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you, well, that is to fall. To turn to you, that's to rise. To follow you with compassion and care, that, O oh God, is to abide forever. Show us that way. Amen.